Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I am joined by my sister Kay. It is February 13th. It's Saturday evening, and we have just spent the first of two days at the Dallas Comic-Con Fan Days uh, 2016 convention. Um, We've got press badges and stuff, uh, which is part of why we came. We were originally hoping to see uh, Derek Royal here, but stuff came up. He was unable to make it. This is uh, the first time we've made it to this convention, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's located in Irving, which is kind of one of the suburbs of Dallas near the DFW airport. Which makes it kind of in the middle of Dallas and Fort Worth. Yeah. Which is a a fairly large metroplex. So definitely a large fan base to draw on. Mm -hmm. And I certainly noticed that when we first got to the convention center this morning. Definitely. Uh, We had stayed in a hotel here overnight. Uh... Because it's about a four-hour drive up from Austin. Yeah, we stopped for gas. Three and a half, four hours. And, well, no, it took us four and a half, but we did after traffic hours with a gas stop and a, hey, I want to stretch my legs stop. Yeah. So I don't want to know what would have been during prime traffic hours, so. though. My point was there was no way we were going to get oh, up yeah. early and, and drive and then spend a full day at the convention. That would just be exhausting. And when we got... You know, from the hotel to the convention center, which was actually very convenient, just down the street, um, there was a couple of cops directing traffic, doing a very smooth job. They had anticipated the uh, uh, amount of traffic. They routed us straight into the parking garage, the bottom level of the parking garage. They had allocated for people lining up to get their badges and get in the door. So all in all, my first impressions were very positive. Well, and on the one hand, it's a little bit of a bummer that they are down those few parking spots. And really, it wasn't that many, maybe 30 parking spots, give or take. But given how little space there is in what I guess you would refer to as a concourse Mm -hmm. down on that main level, having that undercover sheltered area for people to line up, I think is an excellent use of the space. I think it was, what, 45, 50 degrees I think if people had been out in a breeze with no cover, trying to snake around the building, they would have been far less comfortable. Absolutely. Uh, Again, having a a place, well, and also out of the traffic flow and stuff like that, where it was easy access to route them into the building and stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. they've done this before, obviously, and they they know what they're doing. Yeah. And lots of people in cosplay. Just yes. from the moment you got in line to park and good clear signage on the parking. We've done enough road trips that we've got kind of, you know, there's the car games we used to play as a kid of go through the, the letters of the alphabet on license plates or whatever. That I was thinking that a, a similar sort of game to play with friends at a convention is who can assemble the first team by, you know, taking photos of, of the cosplayers. Mm-hmm. Because there were a couple of times it's like, okay, I could have assembled, you know, half a team of Avengers or something in one group shot. But can you get the complete team? Yeah. Well, and in the cosplay area, we noticed much later in the day they had a uh, box for an action figure Mm -hmm. that people could pose in. And when we first entered the building, 
kind of after, I guess you'd say, the first checkpoint, if you will, after a prop check and stuff. Yes. They had that long backdrop where people could pose for photos. I would say this is a very cosplay-friendly convention. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Irving Convention Center, again, first time we've been in it, uh, the ground floor is where they had the exhibit hall. That's where they, you know, had the the check-in line, the, the pick up the badges and stuff like that. Outside of the exhibit hall, they had, like you said, that that backdrop and stuff. They also had an area for Neil Adams. This is also where they had the General Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much tucked off to the side. At first, we'd missed it. And we're looking at the map. Oh, it's right there. And we just looked down. Oh, there it is. Um, the exhibit hall, I would say, we talked about this earlier in the day. Roughly the size of what you would expect at a local kind of Wizard World show. Mm-hmm. But one of the differences we both noticed was how everything in there felt like it should be in there. Yeah, definitely. We've been to enough conventions where there's some cool stuff, but, you know, people selling the drones or whatever, it's, eh, it's not really comic book stuff. It's cool, and I'm mm-hmm. glad it's there sometimes. None of that kind of stuff here. None of the foot massagers, none of the insurance companies. Or TV um, stations or... I can forgive CW having a booth. That one makes sense to me, especially at a a convention that has so much of an arrow presence, etc. That's fair. That's true. That's that's legit. But that's where it starts to get a little on the edge. Um, To me, uh, Norton at a wizard convention. Yeah, for the virus protection stuff. What are some of the others we've seen over the years? There was one that we saw, and I don't even remember which convention it was at. They were selling speakers. Mm-hmm. That you put like on a uh, a styrofoam igloo kind of, you know, cooler and the whole thing becomes a speaker. Again, very cool, but it's not really centric to a, a comic book convention. Yeah. Over the years, we've seen a lot of things where they've said, you know, the people who are into sci-fi, fantasy, comic books and genre entertainment, basically, are the same type of people who like my product. Right. So I'll get a booth. You know, and in that vein of thought, the one thing I didn't see for sale in there that I now take for granted as a I expect to see and I kind of like to see, um, I got the R2-D2 memo. Oh, um, like the battery thing. Yeah. The battery power stuff. Yeah. I forget what Memico calls their little um, the, battery yeah. charger, but I didn't see any of those cell phone battery I saw Charge one on that was go. doing phone cases. I saw, yeah, I saw some phone cases. And but I, again, everything was very themed. It mm-hmm. was the bottom line is when we walked through the aisles, nothing stood out as what's Uber doing here or yes. something like that. Mm-hmm. So I felt they did a very good job. And I also never felt like there was, well, geez, they, they just couldn't sell this booth or something. I mean, well, the, the place was full. At any convention like this, I expect to see, and today I did see, at least one art supply booth. Yes. Because the artists invariably wish I had an extra sketch pad, I wish I had some extra pens, or they may want to see some products that they don't have. Well, and a lot of the people who come to a comic convention are wannabe comic book creators. Yeah. So to me, that's perfectly in the vein. Mm -hmm. And again, there were uh, one or two places like that. But I was uh, a lot of great toy uh, vendors and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of comic vendors and stuff. Uh, and I didn't really notice those, but some of that is, even though I'm deep into comics, 
it's not something I'm typically looking for. I'm more paying more attention to the toys and stuff like that, just because I've already got the comics for the most part. There were a few places doing the t-shirts. Uh, there was a couple of fan groups. Austin Browncoats had come up here, had a very good display. Mm-hmm. Um, but along the lines of t-shirts, there wasn't the two or three story high one we see in San Diego. No, that styling needs to online pull. and stuff wasn't there. There was none of what I would consider... Uh, and maybe I just glossed over if there were any, the the big vendors. Yeah, it seemed to be, if not all Texas-based companies, it just felt like less of a national and corporate-based vendors and more of a local feel to it. So it was a lot of fun to look around, see local businessmen. I heard one guy at a booth when somebody said, hey, how's your business doing? And he says, great, we're opening yet another location next I month. I overheard that too. Got another store opening up and stuff. I love hearing that. What I liked was that was in the far aisle. We had started in the, as you walk into the, the hall on the kind of front right corner, worked our way back and forth and stuff until the aisles started not lining up because they were kind of like the, the artist's booths mm-hmm. or whatever so we then just did the first of the two blocks and then double back but that was on the far kind of left wall and it may have even been those same people who were saying right before that hey uh, to, to one of the other people at the the show you should check this next booth out this is going to be their last show or whatever so if you want it get it now i caught that too kind of a they're helping their buddies out yeah um and by and large the the vendors all seemed very friendly uh Reaching out, hey, how you doing type stuff. But not one of those where, crap, I've made eye contact, I'm trapped. Yeah, there were no hard sells. None. Um, None that we encountered, at least. Yeah. And there have been a couple of times where, man, you linger too long at a booth and suddenly they're giving you the full-on sales pitch. And, you know, I get that. I don't necessarily begrudge that, but... I don't want to take up their time if it's something that I know I'm not going to dive into and be that interested in. A lot of Funko Pop. Yeah. And ironically, not the one Funko Pop I wanted. Not that I made you comb through every figure, because I honestly did not. But there was one I asked you to keep a casual eye for. Skipping to the end of the day ever so briefly, we swung by a Toys R Us afterwards, because it was right by the hotel, and discovered there is a BB-8 Funko Pop, which I think you want. But now I think it makes sense to tomorrow go back to those vendors. Do you have? Yes, yes. And that's part of why we went to the Toys R Us was I hadn't been to a Toys R Us since The Force Awakens came out. And I realized I don't honestly know what's on the market. So looking around at a convention like this, when you're clueless about what might interest you, it puts you at a disadvantage, I feel. I I think it's always, if you're into the toys wise to go to Toys R Us before going to the convention. So you know what lines of toys are currently out, what the ballpark retail price is, and maybe you'll find some stuff that you just want and pay it at that price. Because if it's on store shelves at a Toys R Us and you find it at a convention, it's probably not going to be cheaper at the convention. Yeah. Not well, that they're marking it up crazy. But- yeah. I've known one or two people that have gone out to San Diego And, you know, the first day they'll tell me, oh, I've got in mind exactly what I want to buy. I'm going to search the floor for it. At the end of the con, 
they'll tell me they didn't make it to a single panel because they spent the whole time scanning every single booth looking for a certain item. I'll say, well, I, you know, I didn't have a chance to ask, what were you looking for? And they'll tell me and we'll pull out our smartphones and we'll look and we'll find out either production was delayed and it isn't for sale yet, or that one character wasn't made in that line of figures. And they were on basically a wild goose hunt and didn't know it. Uh, I encountered the inverse of that while we were still living in San Diego. I'm thinking it was around the time of the special edition Star Wars movies, maybe. Okay. There was another wave of the Star Wars figures coming out. Not the, the old, old ones, but, uh, you know, more uh, recent ones, nicer, you know, more modern. And I went up to one of the L.A. shows, like the Shriner Auditorium or something like that. But it was one of those where the toys were just coming out. So people who had been able to uh, scavenge their local Toys R Us, Target, whatever, and find those couple of rare figures had those on markup because, well, they had it. But it's one of those, literally, you wait a few weeks. Yeah. It's pretty much on all the store shelves. So knowing where things are in that Mm -hmm. cycle can save you a lot of time and anguish. Well, yeah, I just always hate to realize I went looking all over for something that doesn't exist. Whereas one year at San Diego, I had in the back of my head, you know, if I see a Troy poster I like, I think that's the one poster I'll get. That's Troy the movie, not Deanna Troy from Star Trek. Correct. Just wanted to clarify that for the listeners. Yeah. And our friend Jim... Uh, Mm -hmm. was walking around with me on Sunday afternoon. He asked me, did you find anything that you wanted to buy? And I said, you know, I actually forgot. I was going to look at the posters and see if I saw a Troy Wilight. And we found a poster booth. And Jim, on my behalf, he just walks right up. And he says, she'd like a Troy poster. Do you have one? And he said, oh, we sold out of the one everyone wants. But if she'll pay half price, we have this one that nobody likes. And he pulled it out. And it happened to be the exact one I had seen online. The one you wanted, yeah. And thought they weren't selling in the U.S. And I was like, sold. <laughs> you, know, But if Jim hadn't asked for me, and I, I wouldn't have seen it up on display, and I wouldn't have gotten it. Well, I, I think we've mentioned this in many of our other convention episodes, but I'll mention it again because I think it's important. If you are going to a convention and you are looking for something, tell the people you are going with, Definitely. I am looking for this. Because there have been a, a couple of times as we're walking a hall of a convention, you're like, hey, John, did you notice this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Other times I'm like, no, I didn't. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just... Uh, when uh, we go to like C2E2 or San Diego with the Chans, they are always very good. Hey, what are you interested in? What are you looking for? And if they happen to either see that or something else they think we might like, hey, you've got to go check this out. It's over here. Yeah. Because this convention had 200 maybe vendors, 250, 300, I don't know, a fair number. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them had a manageable selection of items. Uh, Some of them had a literally staggering selection of items. At least one of them had what looked like this cage of Funko Pops. Yeah, I was thinking of that one too. It just, it had Funko Pops out the wazoo. It had tons of them. I mean, it wasn't the only one that had it, but it was one of the more impressive displays. But But you couldn't get to them. It was the one that had them in a way that felt like you couldn't get to them, and if you saw the one you wanted and it was on the bottom in a corner, that was going to be really awkward to get. 
Yeah, it's one of those that they had like uh, the the plastic square mesh kind of thing on four sides and it was stacked up at least six, ten feet. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I couldn't tell if you found one in there how you would get what you wanted. So I was assuming that was kind of surplus storage. And if you wanted something, it's like, oh, yes, we've also got it over here. I'm sure they had a plan. They were doing gangbusters, but I was just in awe of this column of Funko as we passed it. But going to your point of not knowing if something was available or not, that was not somewhere we asked, hey, do you have BB-8? Because we didn't know that it did, that BB-8 definitely had a, mm -hmm. a Funko Pop. Now we do. Now it, we may ask. Exactly. So again, going in with a game plan and stuff like that. And for me... One of the things I was, I think is an opportunity for improvement for this convention is they did not post the uh, exhibit hall floor layout mm -hmm. on the website. And I think they should have. Even if it doesn't have, hey, we've got all the vendors yet, at least if I know the basic lay of the land, because we started, like I said, zigging, zagging front of the hall to the back of the hall and then stopped at the midway point after a couple of aisles and we realized it doesn't line up. Mm -hmm. If you can go in with a game plan of, I'm going to start here, I'm going to go there, I want to hit this first, whatever, it allows you to use your time more effectively. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm just more floor plan centric than some people. You're highly logical, but I will admit that a four-year-old pointed out to me while we were on the floor at one point that there was a trash can alone as an island in the middle of one of the pathways. And she was asking, why is the garbage here? Yes. <laughs> what logic puts the garbage here? By and large, I thought it was a fairly decent layout of, of where they had stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we spent a half hour, hour going through the floor, maybe. Almost an hour. Okay. It uh, took a little longer than I expected because... I honestly didn't realize there would be that many vendors. I'll confess that up front. It, it It's one of those, it's easy to walk the floor. It mm -hmm. When we did, it was not particularly crowded. When we went back later in the day, it was not particularly crowded. So it's not one of those where you're getting bumped around or anything. Well, and going back to the, uh, the parking, I had been worried since it's our first time. What time should we get there? So we got to the parking garage about half an hour before the convention opened. Mm-hmm. And we were able, because of the press registration, to just go in, get our badges. And then they said, well, there's a preview of the floor for the VIPs. Why don't you guys go on in? Mm -hmm. And that helped with yes, that did. moving quickly for our first 20 minutes, at least on the floor, because there were so few people. That's true. That's fair. And we had a good line of sight to the booths and everything. Yes. Uh, but even again, later in the day, mm -hmm. it didn't seem... I mean, it was busy there was a lot of people but it was a, a comfortable flow yes um and that's always something that's important to me you don't want it to be dead because that's not good for the the vendors and if it's not good for them they shouldn't come back mm -hmm. but you don't want it so packed and overwhelming it's like i want something there i just can't get to the booth yeah so i thought it was a, a good kind of a thing now again that's the ground floor the second floor had a cafe and i don't know what else if anything third floor was where a lot of the cosplay stuff, the photo ops, and some stuff like that were. And then the fourth floor is where we spent most of the day. That's where the grand ballroom was. That's also where the celebrity guests were. And um, we went up for the Brent Spiner panel at uh, 11 a.m. 
he's always fun to watch. He's um, he plays the megalomaniac, uh, the narcissist, but he's also really funny. A bit of a dry, uh, sarcastic sense of humor at times. I was going to say, he has, compared to a lot of the other guests, an unusual sense of humor. Yes. And it may not be for everybody, and but he's always great fun to listen to, always has some great stories, mm-hmm. and a good variety of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've listened to a couple of his panels and stuff, and it doesn't seem like, geez, this one again. Um well, and somebody asked him about the movie Out to Sea, mm-hmm. where he worked with uh, Walter Matthau and Shaq Lemon. I mean, just talk about some of the great legends of movies. And he was talking about, somebody asked him, what's a great story from working with him? And he was saying, well, actually, the story I want to tell you is something from watching them work together. Mm-hmm. And that was very interesting. The other thing I found interesting was the guy moderating that, Mark, I didn't catch a, a last name or what his kind of credits uh, were or whatever, what he does other than this, uh, by and large, he did an excellent job moderating. Um, and he had prepared questions and, okay, let's walk through kind of your career or whatever. And when they got to the night court stuff early on, they even had a clip because mm-hmm. he realized ah, it might be, you know, earlier than some of the people attending really know. Well, and uh, I guess it was Brent Spire who was talking about uh, he went to high school in Houston mm-hmm. and he had a really good drama teacher in high school. And if you have a really good teacher and you're blessed to be in a class with fellow really good students, yeah, you just get that great synergy. And he was talking about several of his fellow high school students who've gone on to do this and that and the other. And he really praised teachers yes. for quite a while. But then he talked about going on to uh, Strasburg in I, New York. Yeah, I think and so. he was saying, you know, I don't recall seeing my classmates from there. And don't get me wrong, it's a great school of acting. And they may have done great things, but mm-hmm. it's the people from his high school stuff that he really remembers. And yeah. bumps into or whatever. Yeah. So he was, uh, again, great, great fun. Had some really good answers to a couple of questions. This is one where in the grand ballroom, I don't know how many people it seats, but it's got uh, three, four, five banks of chairs across and whatnot. And the ones on the far two sides are kind of angled. And we sat on the uh, the far right at about the halfway point and stuff. So we had a good view, um, but it was, you know, there's a little bit of distance between you and the stage. But they also have monitors, uh, full, huge, big screens, and really good camera people. So you can always see what's going on. Um, but between on either side of kind of that center block of seats at the halfway point, they have two mics and that's where people would line up for questions. And they were really good of, okay, we're going to start and take some from the one on kind of uh, uh, the, from the stage looking out on the right side and then go to the left and back and forth. Now with the lighting, it's hard for the people on the stage to really see the people asking the questions. Cause again, the lights are glaring in their eyes. Um, so there were a few times over the course of the day, a few people was like, well, I can't see you, but you know, but by and large, the questions moved very well back and forth. And there was always another question queued up. I think they tinkered with the lights over the course of the day because by the end of the day, they could clearly see when it was a child versus an adult and they were blocking their eyes less. 
Yes. Yes. Uh, I think their AV people were very attentive. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least the main guy in charge that we talked to at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. I had seen him around doing a couple of adjustments here or there and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I think there was one or two times they weren't too happy with how the previous panel had been a little too high or a little off or, you know, nothing Mm -hmm. major, but they were continuing to improve it. And I really respect that. Yeah. Um, They did a, a great job on that. And again, they kept the questions going. And I noticed later in the day that instead of just the mics on the stands, they had two volunteers. They'd had the volunteers there from the very beginning to tell them, here's where you're lining up and you're the one who's next. But by later in the day, they were previewing the question. Yeah, and, what are you going to ask? And let me hold the mic so it's in the right spot. And- yeah. And helping make sure the person had their question coherently phrased in in their mind in a solid fashion. And that it was an okay question. Yes, that was funny. There was one time late in the day where it's, uh, I was told I couldn't ask my original question, so my question is. That was during uh, Stephen Amell's panel. Yes, we'll get to that yeah. later. Um, but again, the Brent Spiner one was mm-hmm. good. After that, uh, they have a... They're smart. They've got a gap between the panels. So it's not just we've got to throw people out, get people in or whatever. For the first two, they didn't seem to clear the room. But after that, as the uh, as the lines were forming up outside, as the lines were forming up outside and as I don't want to say the caliber of the guests, that's totally wrong. No, but it was the number of people who had bought VIP t- tickets as more VIP people were lining up outside for the next panel. That was, okay, we need to clear the room. And part of why they were clearing the room was to shake up the seating. Yeah. Well, and to be fair to the VIP, so they Mm -hmm. didn't have people camping and stuff. I thought they were very good about that. After Brent Spiner was Bruce Greenwood, Mm -hmm. who played Pike in the new uh, Star Trek movies, did the voice of Batman and Young Justice. And uh, he was in Nowhere Man. I mean, he's... He's done a lot. IMDb him and look at his long list of TV credits. Uh, St. Elsewhere, I think, was one yeah. of them, too. Yeah. So definitely been around the block on the acting stuff. Um, gave some very interesting answers about acting and about how he goes about his craft and mm-hmm. some of the challenges on some different shows. To me, the standout question there was a, a young girl. Basically, I forget what her first question was. The second one is, how do you get over stage fright? Mm-hmm. I think at first is is acting fun. Yes. And he's like, well, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, but also gave the caveat of it's a popularity business kind of a thing mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter if you're really good or just okay. People have to like you. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, you may not get the job and that can wear on you. There's a toll there or whatever, but he enjoys the the craft uh, and, and the job. But his answer to how to get over stage fright was probably the best we've ever I've ever seen. I would agree. This girl was how old? She was probably in the 10 to 12 ballpark. Sounds about right. We'll say 10, 11, somewhere in there. Young, but not uber young. Old enough, I think, to kind of get to understand his answer. Mm-hmm. He said, come on up here, mm-hmm. you know, and basically, you know, goes to shake her hand and then pretty much pulls her on stage. Mm-hmm. And says, all these people are just just like you. They're just people. They all want you to succeed. And very much is, let me help you get over it. And talked her through taking some deep breaths. Yes. Don't panic. It's not that scary. You can do that. 
very incredibly supportive. Yeah. And at the end, he's like, you know, because he had asked her name and all that, mm-hmm. you know, come see me afterwards kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, very, a ton of respect for him after that. I mean, during the whole thing. But that was something where uh, a lot of these actors are doing this not to bask in the glory of being themselves. As much as Brent Spiner may want you to think that. Mm-hmm. it's uh, they want to give back i mean they've yeah. enjoyed what they've done we've allowed them to do it and they know we appreciate their stuff and there's a certain ego gratification aspect to be had certainly but there's also wanting to do right by us mm-hmm. wanting to give back to us in a more personal way to to uh, peek a little behind the curtain tell some of the you know what was it like to work with so-and-so what's it like to do this mm-hmm. um and in some cases, encourage other people to go into the craft, but do it with your eyes open. Yes. You know, there are some times where there's long hours, pitfalls, whatever, and they're upfront, they're honest. Um, mm-hmm. So while Greenwood wasn't as as funny as Spiner or whatever, um, he was certainly uh, an excellent guest, uh, gave a very good panel. Well, one of the points he was talking about when he somebody asked a how many cameras were used mm-hmm. in various things he'd done, and he was talking about a show called I want to say it was called either The River or River. The River, one of the two, yeah. Yeah, and as I recall the show, which it's been years since I watched it, it was I want to call it a spoof on a reality show filming in the Amazon on the Amazon okay. River. And so they have these cameramen following people around on the boat. And the whole reason they're doing the reality show is because his character was doing a show there a year earlier and went missing. So they're searching for him as a missing person. But when he was asked about it, he was saying, you know, when you're used to filming in front of one camera, you walk over to the director of photographer and you, photography and you say, okay, so where's the frame? And he says, well, that tree on the left will be, you know, frame to the left. That tree on the right will be the frame to the right. We'll go this high. We'll go this low. Well, and even if it's not that detailed, you know, is it a far shot, a close up, a medium shot? Is mm-hmm. it from your waist up or is it tight on your face or is it just your way in the background? Yeah. And his comment was along, along the lines of, if it's one of those further shots, you're going to be a bit more animated. You're going to gesture with your hands and stuff like that as much to be seen as to convey things because minute facial expressions aren't going to pick up there. Mm-hmm. Flip side, if it's close up on your face, you're not going to be gesturing wildly. That's out of frame. It's pointless. Mm-hmm. You're going to bring it a little more inside and be a little bit more expressive and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, he was also saying that when you're doing it for the three cameras, you find that in some respects you're building the character from the inside out yep. instead of from the outside in. And I thought, you know, I get the what he's saying with this immediately, but he asked the rest of the audience, do you get it? And several people were like, uh-uh. But he's saying, you know, instead of thinking of the framing and then saying, okay, how do I want to appear in that frame? He's thinking more from the, okay, I am this character, my character behaves this way, now how do I put that character and that behavior into this situation 
and it, hope three different cameras all pick it up well. Exactly. In that case, you've got to play more true to the character. You've got to what's inside the character and let that surface just naturally, mm-hmm. not how would it play well to this kind of a shot or that kind of a shot. Whereas in other cases, it's like, no, no, I know the mechanics of this. So I've got to do a certain aspect just so the craft works at mm-hmm. a technical level. So some of the guests, and he's he's definitely of this type, give really good, insightful answers about the craft, about the filmmaking, about that. Mm-hmm. That can be just a lot of fun. Yeah. So there comes a point where either you go to enough of these conventions or you watch enough YouTube videos of them at these conventions and you get a sense for which type of person falls into which category. You know, Brent Spiner, you ask him a deep question about you know, acting and methodology and stuff like that. And you'll probably get a really funny anecdote. If you ask Brent Spiner what role he thinks Star Trek The Next Generation played in the Star Trek franchises hitting 50 years and being so meaningful to people, he will explain to you that his character is the critical point of its success. It was all him. And then he'll admit, you know, he's joking and he'll talk about some of the other deeper points. And I thought it was interesting when he was saying that to him, Star Trek is not as bright and hopeful as it is to a lot of people. uh, Again, I almost want to say a stand-up comedian's view Mm -hmm. on the the bright, positive future of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. They have phasers. They have photon torpedoes. They're blowing people up. Mm -hmm. Where is the positive of this? Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, I see that, you know. I get where he's coming from, but there there were some great both scenes that showed it, but also some monologues that talked about the, we dealt with poverty on our home world. We dealt with hunger on our home world. We dealt with so many of the problems on our home world, and then we went out to explore beyond. Well, what I found interesting is he was, uh, Spiner was talking about how Star Wars is kind of good and evil. And Star Trek is kind of the shades of gray almost in between. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas compare that to Bruce Greenwood when he was asked, did you look at the pike of the TV show for how you're going to play? And he's like, well, yeah, of course. But quickly realized that uh, Jeffrey Hunter's pike had a very different dilemma than his pike. You know, mm-hmm. should he continue with his mission? Should he not? Whereas his pike, it's like, no, no, there's no question. It's clear. And that gave him a certain freedom to take some different decisions and directions while still being aware of yeah. what had gone before. Um, so I thought that was, uh, again, both of those were great panels mm-hmm. in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, after that, the next panel was the cast of the Dukes of Hazard. So Tom Walpat, uh, Catherine Brock, and uh, John Schneider. Now, I want to lead into this by saying we knew going into this panel, we would be seeing three actors who played cousins on TV. Yes. And we knew later in the day, we would see two cousins who are actors on TV. Yes, who've worked together once or twice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I found the the Dukes of Hazard one just a, a lot of fun because, again, grew up watching the show. It's a fun show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were asked early on about the whole, it's gotten pulled on broadcast because of the Confederate flag. And they're like, yeah, that'll blow over. It's, yeah. And they were sensitive to aspects of what the, 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 the Confederate flag means to various groups, what the history 
behind some of this has meant, and even some of the recent history has meant to various groups. And we're sensitive to that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But also that that wasn't what the show was about. Mm -hmm. And anyone who has watched the show, that if, if that is what anyone in Hazard County seriously thought that flag stood for, that Uncle Jesse would have had that off that car that instant and tan their hides. Yeah. It's kind of, if, if you really think that's a problem, you haven't watched the show. Yeah. Um, but they had, again, just a very interesting dynamic because they're clearly all good friends. They've yeah. known each other for quite some time. But they also haven't done these kinds of panels together uh, that often, if ever. Mm -hmm. So there was a few times where one would say something and it's, you know, the other was, a, I don't say a little surprised or whatever, but it's, they hadn't gotten the rhythm that if you were to get uh, like Brent Spiner and LeVar Burton yeah. together or something like that, or some other people who I'm trying to think of a few other people that we've seen on stage together that work together. And it's like Christopher judge and uh, Tony Amendola. Yes. Uh, or the cast of, of Serenity Firefly and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There comes a point where not only do they, they get along great, but they know how to have that surface in a really fun way for the fans. Mm -hmm. And it was fun as a panel, but there were also a couple of times where, you know, John Schneider, he's been on Smallville. He's done a lot of stuff. He had a lot of questions directed his way. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how many, if many, were, were directed to, uh, to Catherine. Not many. I mean, there was some talk about uh, setting a fashion trend, if you setting will. a fashion trend, and just the uh, the impact Daisy Duke had, mm -hmm. sex symbol of the time, etc. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting what you're saying. You know, they interact as friends, but they also they have that chemistry. Yeah, they interact the way three family members would. And in fact, at one point, one of the questions was, if you, as you are today and now, could go back. Oh, yeah. In time. What and, would you tell your younger self? Yeah. And John Schneier says, you know, when it comes, especially to financial advice, I would say, listen to Denver Pyle. And Catherine Bach literally whacks him on the shoulder and says, what about me? I gave you advice. And he looks at her and says, like I said, listen to Denver Pyle. And that was the one who played Uncle Jesse. Yes. Yeah. And Tom Wapout says, yeah, you're right. I'd tell myself that too. And she's just looking at both of them like, what am I, chopped liver? It was funny because there were a couple of times she had that <laughs> where it's like, hey, I'm here too kind of a thing. But also a couple of times, I don't say it had their back, but really, I mean, she was pointing out early on, these two were the original bromance. Yes. Yes. And that was a great line. And yeah. she's right. You know, because she was on the show more than they were. Yeah. And uh, Cody and Vance came up twice. And, oh, John Schneider on The Power of Words. Yes. Certain words are good. Certain words are bad. Mm -hmm. Cheated. Bad. bad. Accounting error. Oversight. These are better words. It. Uh, they seem to be the people who represented them at the time. It, the two of them in unison walked off the show for Coin Vance mm -hmm. to take over for a bit because they didn't feel they were getting the, the cut they should. Um, the people who represented them, maybe not as diplomatic as they could have been. Yeah. And from the way John Schneider was talking, I, he mentioned a, a, a 25 million number or something. 
They filed it's, a lawsuit for $25 million, and because of the wording in the letter that went with it, the countersuit was filed for $200 million against them. Yeah. It seemed like if that had been handled better, yeah, they the financial impact for them could have been very significant. Yeah. Which is a shame, because I thought they'd deserve you know, a, cut of the, a bigger cut of the money than they apparently were getting. Another interesting question was, uh, how many of you three currently own a General Lee? Yes. And Tom was very quick, nope. And John was very much used to, but not currently. And Catherine is, yep, got one in storage. Not at the house, but I've got one. And they were very quick to point out that this is something that is so handy to have for charity events, uh-huh. for things for ride-alongs to raise money for charity. And it sounded like they make sure that at all times one of them has a General Lee to help raise money for charity. And again, the rationale for why they – and John was very clear. At some point, probably again, definitely. Mm -hmm. Just not right now. In fact, it sounded like uh, he had fixed up and built the one that Catherine Bach bought from him. Yeah, it seemed like at one point he was just doing that on the side, just Mm -hmm. finding old – Dodge Chargers and, and, you know, building up General Lee's or whatever. Yeah. Um, he also had some hilarious comments about how on later things he had done, uh, they, you know, when it came down to who's going to do the driving stunt or whatever, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And, and like they would say, well, what do you mean? It's like, you know, it's, have you ever seen the show? Mm-hmm. When somebody asked them about the sliding across the hood of the car. Yeah. And two parts of that intrigued me, because first of all, they were saying the first time it happened, it was an accident. Yeah, Tom was going to run across it, but his foot slid, and it just, he slid across. Yeah, and it sounded like he uh, banged it, up his arm pretty bad. Yeah. So, at first, it was like a, I'm not sure we want to repeat that accident, but A, it was popular with the fans, and B, it meant the two of them stayed in one shot. Yes, he, they were both very clear about how... By doing that, they could be in the frame. It was a tighter frame versus if one had to run around the back or something. Mm-hmm. And how at certain points, um, Tom, who was usually in the passenger seat and therefore was sometimes getting in first, put the key in the ignition, get some stuff. John would slide in. They would do. Mm-hmm. And how basically for some of this, they were working in tandem, which is how they got those quick yeah. you know, hop in the car and get going. Yeah. Uh, but it also showed a very much a a teamwork aspect between those two mm-hmm. um, in how they produce the show, how much they trust each other. And it wasn't just them, because at one point Catherine had you know, were told a story about uh, with the Jeep, she wasn't getting the traction she wanted, it wasn't working as well. And John's like, ah, after, after we shoot today, I'll go help you out or whatever. Uh, and apparently got the thing up on two wheels or whatever, and they realized, you know, this might not be the safest thing. And they were very quick to tell any children in the audience, Jeeps roll over. Don't do this. Yes. Tom was very clear on, to, you know, mm-hmm. some of what they did, crazy dangerous. Mm-hmm. And they also seemed to give John a really hard time for being such a kid at the time. Yes. He was, what, 17, 18 at the time. 18 when he got the job. Yeah. I don't know quite what the age difference is between them. Well, somebody asked how many cars they drove slash used for the show and how many got wrecked and who wrecked more cars. Yes. The later question was who wrecked more. And Tom was very clear. John did. But John did most of the driving. Yes. 
Um, and that he himself had had some pretty good wrecks. <laughs> yes. And so, like, there was one wreck where uh, Ben Jones, who played Cooter, was in the car, and he was mad for how that wreck happened. Yeah. Well, and John Schneider had a really good comment about how, for one thing they did, I forget if it was the uh, Auto Trader commercial, maybe. It was the Auto Trader commercial. Where it's uh, do a particular, I don't know, stop and slide the car or whatever it was. They did it uh, two times, then... They did it twice, and he said, third time's a charm, but I can't do it more than three times. Because they kept telling him to get closer and closer to something. They had a workable shot, and the guy's like, no, let's get it closer, let's do it closer. And John's like, you know, I do this another time or two, we're going to wreck the car. And, And his point was basically, and he's very adamant of this when he does other stuff, uh, to the point of being a little bit of a grumper. I forget exactly how he phrased it, but... Um, he will do it. He will do it once. He will do it right. You damn well better have the cameras ready. And that's that, mm-hmm. you know, because when you hear about these things where people get in horrific accidents on set like that, it's, oh, let's just get that last take of the day. Let's do it one more time. We got something good, but we can do better. Yeah. These are dangerous things that, mm-hmm. that they were doing. Um, and again, his, his cognizant nature of that and just get it. Do it right. Get it in the can. Don't try to perfect it with, you know, crazy dangerous stunt. Yeah. Um, watching those three was just a lot of fun. It was. Um, they they had a good com- camaraderie and stuff, a uh, good back and forth. Um, and at one point uh, early on, Catherine had gotten a, was checking her phone or something. Yes. Are we interrupting your social life? Yeah. And she goes, it's my daughter. You know, kind of. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. They were asked about the movie uh, that was done afterwards, and they had some, you know, insights as to they didn't know what it was, you know, comedy, straight version, whatever. But they also comment about how if they had, if the movie had stayed true to the, the tone, the style, the the core of the show, which it eventually veered towards, um, it would have done much better. But also how tough that would be to replicate, mm-hmm. and how tough it was for it to replicate in the reunion movies they did. Yeah. You know, so all in all, I thought they gave some some very good answers, very graceful answers in a couple of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, seem to have a good time. Hopefully, they'll come and do more conventions. Yeah. You know, they had a, a fairly full crowd, I think. Yeah, they did. Um, they were the first panel that filled, I'd say, three quarters of the room. And part of that was because we started so early and yeah. parking was backing up there was a long line to park when we went in brent spiner had made a comment when he get in there of you know if you know we can wait a little while if more people are still parking kind of you know mm-hmm. and uh whatnot but it's again first panel of the day sort of a thing it mm-hmm. happens yeah um after uh, the dukes was the robbie ml panel mm-hmm. it was going to be uh danielle panabaker and him but she had uh filming to to keep doing so whole work thing um, he did a, a, I frankly, I thought a surprisingly good panel. I did not have high expectations, but I didn't really watch the Tomorrow People. He's only been on a couple of things of Flash. What I thought was hilarious about it, again, same moderator for all of these at this point. Um, he was commenting on how he was on the Flash, was killed off, mm-hmm. brought back, killed off, brought back, killed off. And it's like they keep killing me off. And I keep writing saying, wouldn't it be fun if? He had the different moderator. 
He had the moderator from You're the right. newspaper. He had the newspaper moderator. Who That's introduced right. him as being from the Tomorrow Children. Yes, yes, you're right. Mark had only uh, moderated every other panel but that one. Yeah. The moderator this guy had was clearly a little nervous, misspoke a little at the beginning, mm-hmm. tried to jump in one or two times with a, a witty repartee that didn't quite land. Mm-hmm. Again, guy was nervous. He wasn't a bad moderator. And moderating panels is hard. Yes, been there, done that. And I flubbed up a couple of things. I totally. Yeah. I'm not casting any judgment. No, here. no. I'm just yeah. Um, it's it's tough to do. It mm-hmm. can be very nerve wracking, no matter how well prepared you are. Well, it's funny because Robbie Mel was joking about how many times he's died on Flash, and somebody asks him about this movie he's currently filming in Toronto, and he says, "Well, have you seen that that Tom Cruise movie?" Uh, Edge of Tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, the one where he keeps dying and he's in this time loop. It's kind of like that. Well, and I, I forget if it was the same question or somebody else. It's like, so when somebody asks you to do a dying scene, you're like, hey, I got this. And he's like, yeah. Um, so he gave some, some fun answers. He was funny. He was serious enough. Somebody asked what he and Stephen Amell argue about. Yes. Uh, again, the relationship between him and Steven uh, came up a number of times. Uh, how he likes working with various, you know, members of the, the uh, Flash team and stuff like that. Um, well, I thought it was funny because he was very adamant that they don't argue with each other. Yes. They argue about things. And the age was one of them. And I, it was funny because there's a seven-year gap between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Stephen, who was the final panel after that, gave a really good comment about that of when you're 20 and the cousin is 13, that's a sizable gap. Yeah. When you're 29 and they're 22, not so much. Yeah. You know, Um, but I thought Robbie's panel, um, again, the the moderation was was not as good as the other ones, but still fine. Uh, He gave a, a, a good panel better than I frankly had expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, and then that last panel of the day was Stephen Amell's. We knew this was the big draw. Mm-hmm. And this was one that, man, they were packing people in. Everybody, if there's a empty seat between you, squeeze in. I would say until Robbie Amell, every panel was, if you had wanted to walk in in the midst of the panel, you could have. Yes, but I really appreciate how... For the Stephen Amell one, they were very clear. Hey, we're trying to get as many of you fans in here as we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're here because you want to see the show. Other people want to see him. You know, let's 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 work together on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the volunteers in the room all day were very friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until this one that the uh, the audio guy had to do the no running. Yes. a number of times because people were excited. Yeah. You know, uh, and he wasn't mean about it, but it's you can walk fast, but let's not run. And again, his goal, I don't want anyone to get hurt. Again, yeah. totally respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, this was back to Mark as the moderator. Um, by and large, I really enjoyed this panel. I mean, we've seen Stephen Amell uh, a time or two. Mm-hmm. He is probably just, I would say, top-notch convention guest. He is there for the fans. He's attentive. He tries to connect you know hi i'm so-and-so hi so-and-so mm-hmm. he remembers their names and their ages five ten questions later and he'll say now where's so-and-so because this goes back to their question 
or so-and-so is going to pop up and catch me on, you know, kind of. Yeah, a, yeah. You were yesterday trying to trick me into giving a spoiler by thinking it's you know, already on the air, you know. Yeah, or when somebody said, well, you say happy birthday to my son, he's X old, and he's thinking, now somebody stood up earlier and said, today's my ex birthday, and I'm doing the math to figure out yeah. if you're the mother. <laughs> he's he's attentive to the yeah. fans. And he's, again, I think, got kind of what he would consider his dream job and knows that the people showing up at these events at his panel are why. Mm-hmm. And he is totally there for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was given just uh, a lot of great answers, a mix of, of funny, uh, some it's like, well, you know, there's just a short answer to this or no, I can't spoil this or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we watched this week's episode after. And that, that I will say the one thing that, that annoyed me a little with the moderator is in part of why we watched it after because yeah. I tossed it on my, my surface to bring up. Nice thing with a, a computer-based DVR. Um, he'd given away a couple of plot points. Yeah, yeah which was beyond unfortunate. Um, but somebody had asked him a question. And it was, you know, if you could only save either Thea or Felicity, well, who would you save? Mm-hmm. And he thought for a moment and he said, first of all, you know, I don't like the question. But second of all, I think Oliver would come up with a third option. How many times was that said in the episode? Yes. And I thought, you know, he he understands the character he's playing, how it's written. And he's got that both being in sync and that synergy with the writers in the writing room. And that's part of why his panels are so much fun. The one thing I loved is he was saying how the show had a five-year plan, not that it'll end after five years. He's very clear it doesn't need to end after five years. Mm-hmm. But the whole backstory in the island will kind of wrap up. They can put a button in that. Mm-hmm. And he feels there are certain things they've kind of not done, kind of like you're putting off your homework or whatever. And he has gone to the writers. He's like, do you have a list of the stuff for the island that we've got left to do? Because I do. And mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we got it and stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what I really love about him as an actor is he acts as an advocate for the fans. Mm-hmm. He goes to these panels. He knows what we're interested in, what we're thinking about, whatever, and wants the show to be solid for us. Mm-hmm. And not just, well, these are the words they put in front of me. It doesn't make any sense, but okay. You know, it's like, no, he sees invested in the show when somebody went up and said will you tell us you have failed the city will you tell our city you have failed the city he said all right but i want to get the line right do you want me to say dallas do you consider are this we in irving? dallas irving Fort Worth. Worth. where exactly are we where what city name do you want me to put in this line you know and he wanted the audience to be happy yes with the delivery he gave He's very much about, uh, again, making sure the, the, the fans are, are getting the experience they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a ton of respect for him, both how he carries himself at a convention, how he's really been supportive of the Flash show, Legends of Tomorrow. He was very excited about the guest spot he was going to be doing in Legends of Tomorrow in a couple episodes. There was one panel, and I'm forgetting which one it was, but a guy in a Flash costume went up to ask a question. It was at the point where people were introducing themselves. And it's, hi, my name is Grant. Yes. It was, It was. I think, Stevens. 
That's so true. Some guy saying, hi, I'm Grant. He's dressed as the Flash. And he kind of chuckles because he knows a guy named Grant who dresses up as the Flash professionally. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There were some, some good things. With that panel... Now, most of the panels, I think, were closer to 45 minutes mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. This one lasted an hour, and I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Because at one point, it basically, from my vantage point, ground to a halt. Now, let's start with the fact somebody asked a question. Mm-hmm. Stephen was four or five words into an answer. Yes. And then uh, the uh, what turned out to be the wrestler Stardust. Man, that's an intimidating name. I'm pretty sure that's Stardust. His name. I, I'm not trying to disparage the wrestler. I'm sure he could pound me into Stardust quite easily. Uh, but he comes in from the back, full costume regalia, paint on the face and everything. And I'm thinking, wait, the other guy is the one who plays the superhero on TV. Because I, at this point, I have no clue who this guy is. It's probably a wrestler, whatever. But uh, and then basically Shanghai's the panel for five, ten minutes. And he's got a cameraman from the oh. WWE, and he's got cops doing protection. Now, we should have known something was going to happen, because we thought we saw Robbie Amell sneak into the panel. But we thought he was just catching the end of his cousin's pound. From the stage up front, there was a door that they would come in from. Prior to the Dukes of Hazard, Tom had come out, sat in the audience for a little bit. Hey, I'm not here yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and then later went back in and came out. Uh, but then after uh, a good ways into to Stevens, Robbie Amell, who'd been on the previous panel, comes out from that area. And it's like, hey, he just wants to catch the end of it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured there was something going to happen. But, hey, they're going to bring him out, announce something, whatever. So when the wrestler comes out, gives uh, what 10 minutes later evolved into giving uh, uh, Stephen Amell the Slammy Award. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is going to be auctioned off for charity. Yeah, Stardust signed it. Uh, Stephen Amell is going to sign it. And the proceeds are going to go towards, I guess, some other wrestler who is injured, maybe? I don't know. I can get the details. And what I will say about the wrestler made a big point of signing it in front of everybody, handing it to Stephen, and then throwing a bunch of water at Stephen, who was holding the now-signed trophy. Followed by the wrestler's moderator he had brought in, presumably a female wrestler or something, also throwing water at at Stephen. And you know, really, once you've had two glasses of water thrown at you, how can a family member resist the urge to run up on stage, join in the fun, find a glass of water, and say, well, everyone else did it? As a family member of yours, <laughs> I urge you to find the answer to that, lest the situation ever come up. I'll look for an answer. And the answer is not more water on me. That's not the answer Robbie ML came up with. It is not. And then he ran down the aisleway for the back of the room. Yeah, it's like, Stephen may be mad. I better bolt. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he, he. it's like he was playing the Flash, not Firestorm. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Steven was, I think, uh, it was hard to tell how in on this he was. He was in on some of it, but a little, I I don't think he was overly pleased with how it played out. He seemed to be in on the trophy being handed over and the crowd being aware he was going to be raising money for charity, that the panel was going to get hijacked in the middle of a question, and that the wrestler was going to prevent him from being able to give respectful answers. 
to yeah. his fans. I don't think he was aware of. Uh, and then once all of that was over and he realized Robbie was up in the front of the room again, he asked Robbie to come up and moderate the rest of the panel. Yeah, well, since you're here, go ahead and moderate it. Yeah. Which, which, which was nice. It was fun. What was even funnier was a question or two later, a person comes up, uh, hi, Mr. Amell. Both of them are like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> First Stephen and then Robbie. And then Stephen's like, wait, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's clear those two uh, play reasonably well with each other, um, as both as actors and cousins and whatnot. Um, I think Stephen Amell, if he could do the panel over again and control that aspect with the wrestler, would have had that play out seriously very differently. Mm-hmm. Because I think he felt it trounced on a couple of questions. It interrupted the moment for the fans. And I think he was right. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I've got this wrestler storming past me and the bright light from the camera in my face, it's like, this is annoying. Mm-hmm. You know, here's this guy saying, hey, look at me. And I'm like, who the hell are you? Yeah. You know, um, again, not a wrestling fan, not there for that. It was there to hear Stephen Amell. Yeah. And it got back on track. We got the extra time, so it's not like it really ate into the the experience, but it did interrupt it. Well, it was funny because one of the convention voices, I'm not sure who it was, piped up with, and there's only time for two more questions. And Stephen's looking at Robbie, whose mouth is shut, saying, who's moderating this panel? Yes. Well, I think it was at the end of Robbie's. He's like, we've got time for another question. He's like, I have no idea, but I'm just saying we do. It was, yeah. I think it was the team lead in the room who was. I think so. Well, and at the very end of Stephen's panel, they were sort of indecisive. I forget exactly how it was going down on if this was the last question or not. And a kid comes up and says, I was wondering if you would say hi to. His mom and uncle or aunt or aunt jude or something and he's like that's a great way to end the panel yes there were a couple of times over the course of the day one or two people on stage it's like and we're really ready for that next question yes yes. let's stop this and move on for a variety of reasons well um robbie amell when he couldn't decide if he wanted to be a pterodactyl or a whale with no predatory animals after him Mm mm-hmm there was at one point in the Dukes where that came up mm-hmm. uh, with not that, what do you want to be a whale or whatever, but the, can we please have another question? And I think Brent Spiner also maybe at one point. And it's usually a pretty funny time. And it's like, yeah, we've, we've, we've milked this either for all the jokes or it's getting a little serious or it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Let's again, need to change gears. I think over the course of the entire day, there was only one and it was at the end of the Dukes question where the moderator's like i'm if you don't have a question i'm gonna cut you off because the guy was like starting to sing and i'm like i have no idea where this what's going on with this this person Mm -hmm. at the mic Uh, again it's a risk with an open mic and it was after that that i really noticed they were moderating the questions coaching the people a little better Mm -hmm. because it's nerve-wracking to ask a question like that in front of a crowd of people and some some major celebrities it is Uh, that's why i don't do it um, but by and large, it was a really fun day. Um, got to see a, a, a number of, of uh, celebrities whose work I've enjoyed, in some cases, for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, both with, with Brent Spiner, uh, the Dukes of Hazard, uh, John Schneider, then again on Smallville. 
it was so funny when he was commenting about how much at one point he was getting talked to about his parenting skills for a young Superman. Yes. Yes. I, there's only one generally and it flies, but but this is a comic book character kind of a thing. You know, um and again, uh, the Robbie Mel talking about again his stuff on Flash. It, I loved how he had kind of the recurring joke of you know I'm doing stuff on X Files. I'm going to do this. He talked about a Netflix thing that sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. Arc A R Q or whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, the Edge of Tomorrow ish sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. But again, how he he kept dying on Flash or whatever. Um, so and again, Stephen Amell, uh, he had a really funny line about when somebody was asking in Earth to you're dead, your father's Green Arrow. If, if you know, another Earth, you could play another version of Oliver Queen, how would you like it to be? And his end answer was, yeah, I, I trust the writers. You know, whatever they see is good. But his first one, which I thought was hilarious, was how funny would it be if they go to an Earth, everybody is different, but Oliver is still grumpy, curmudgeonly Oliver. He is like the bedrock or something. And there's two of them in the room now. Yeah. When... He was saying somebody had come up to his table and asked him a question about Arrow. Why did such and such happen? He said, I thought about it for a second, and I think this is going to be my answer from now on. Yes. Because it really works. And as I recall, it goes, bad decisions. No, good decisions make for bad television. Bad decisions make for good television. There you go. Because it's, why did you not do thus and so? This was the right choice. And he's like, well, yeah. But, mm-hmm. well, and like he was saying, you know, of course Oliver should have told Felicity about. Yeah. But it needs to come back and bite him. That's why he didn't. It's more dramatic. It's better fun. Mm-hmm. He had some also some good comments about when somebody was asking what martial arts he knows or whatever. He's like, the, the one he feels he's getting good at is the martial art for TV. Which is a different one. Oh, the camera's here. I got to do this. Make it look like I'm going to hit him or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And how doing uh, fights for cameras is it's in and of itself its own skill. Yeah. And sooner or later, some fight choreographer is going to get wise and dub the name of that. And kind of this is a school of, you know, cinema, uh, cinematography, you know, kung fu or, you know, martial art of, of – Sinafu? Something like that. Yeah. Um, trying to remember his name. Koichi Shemako, maybe? He was the fight choreographer for Power Rangers for like 18 years or something. Hmm. He's since gone on to do work on some of the Super Sentai shows. Again, if anybody could do fight choreography for, for TV, this is like one of the experts at it. Anyway, somebody someday will... will formalize that a bit more because it's something that everyone's got to pick up on their own Mm -hmm. um but yeah some some great questions and answers uh one of the things out of all of them that really surprised me was uh john schneider um and how somebody was asking about an episode of smallville where his character was doing something with the truck oh spin it off to the side the door's opening he's getting out before the truck's even stopped kind of a thing Again, talking about his, his, again, skill with the driving that he picked up on this Deuce of Hazard show. Um, and it was interesting because somebody said, oh, it was Red Curtain. No, no, it was Nicodemus Plant. He knew his stuff. Mm-hmm. And at no point did any of those three on that thing, it's like, well, no, this is what happened in this episode by title, by name, you know, whatever. 
contrast that to Brent Spiner's, yeah, I've watched a few episodes. You know, but Brent Spiner's point was, I'm spending 16 hours a day doing these episodes. Mm-hmm. Don't really have the time or the need to go then watch them as well. And I get that too. But it was it was impressive to me how um, some of them, again, John Snyder, could remember what he had done on both uh, Dukes of Hazard uh, quite a while ago, Smallville, which has been a while ago. Um, and again, I think uh, Stephen Amell tries to to keep up with with the airing of his show flash uh, presumably legends of tomorrow so he can be conversant about it with the fans yeah to me it's not like brent spiner doesn't take pride in his work he most certainly does and should mm-hmm. very talented guy um and has been for decades again the night court clip they showed was hilarious but there's a, a different aspect of that from these others that you know, we're going to get quizzed on this left, right, and center. Let's let's try to keep up. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's a different way of showing respect for the fans. Mm-hmm. And again, Brent Spiner does that too in his own unique way. So after all of those uh, panels and such, it was that was most of the day. Yeah, that was till after six. Um, now, astute listeners will notice we have not talked about lunch. Long-time listeners will realize what they probably did was eat breakfast at the hotel. Mm-hmm. They get a gold star because that's indeed what we did. Mm-hmm. Tank up on a breakfast, that gets us through the day. Because it's hard to find a good time to eat lunch, plus with our food allergies, a safe place to eat lunch. There were 20 to 30 minute breaks between the panels, but I'm not sure we could have even slipped down to that cafe, assuming we could eat there, eaten a full meal and gotten back to the panel room. So I'm glad I didn't need yeah, same to here. go grab a bite. After all the panels, uh, again, we hung around in the autograph area a little bit. It was it had thinned out a bit. Um, I did want to talk to John Schneider. He had made a comment in the panel that, uh, in reference to the, the Confederate flag on the General mm. Lee, he, he was asking first the other people mm. in the panel, it's like, what, what was Wonder Woman always talking about and stuff like that? And they're like, huh? And he's like, he, they, she was always saying, oh, mighty Isis. To which I turned to you. It's like, no, she did not. Wonder Woman aired in the 70s. Female superhero. Not many of those on the air. But there was this other one by Filmation on Saturday mornings that would often team up with Captain Marvel. You know, the guy who would yell Shazam. And what that other character who happened to be named Isis would do is is her invocation of the power was almighty isis yada 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 i forget all of it um wonder woman based on greco-roman gods did not call out to an egyptian god for power a character who is an archaeologist who got her powers through an egyptian god of isis however did so wanting to politely correct him on that yeah, but I did. Alas, like, he was not there at the time. I did like the Dukes of Hazard panel, where at least three times Catherine Bach managed to tell us what year John Schneider was born, how old he was when the show started, what a um, cute little boy he was. Yes, yes. And finally, he looks at her and goes, "Are we gonna start talking about your age now?" Yes. <laughs> All age talk dropped at that point. It was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, again, they get along well. Um, uh, to me, that was one of the highlights of the day. Again, it definitely uh, hadn't seen them before. Uh, their show is silly as all get out and stuff, but it's wholesome. It ages reasonably well. You know, there are some shows that I look back on that our parents encouraged us to watch as kids that were shows that set the example of 
family can be friends. Family can get along. Family can work together. And I'd like to think that we learned something that there's a little proof in the pudding to that lesson. Well, and also with, with the Dukes of Hazard in particular, one of the things that didn't sit well with those actors about the movie was how the, the movie versions of the Dukes were kind of ne'er-do-wells who just lazy bums almost. They called them slackers. Slackers. Whereas they their Dukes in the TV show really didn't have any visible means of support other than Daisy's job and stuff, but they were always trying to help people do the right thing. They were stand-up guys. They were stand-up guys who seemed to earn their money from moonshine because that was how they knew. That's how they used to. Yes, true, true. With the show, not so much. But it was one of those things, if somebody in Hazard needed help, always you could count on the Duke boys. Always. You know, so again, there's a certain do-right aspect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they were a couple of good old boys, yeah. definitely. So, again, fun panels, fun to, to look around the autograph area, though by the time we did it late in the day, not all that many people there. Um, after that, we headed back down to the floor, uh, walked around a little bit more, uh, talked to one of your friends over at one of the booths. Um, and again, it, people were still there. Vendors seemed to be happy. Yeah, I will say one last thing on the Dukes of Hazard panel. Uh, that's one of the few casts that I know that can A, sing their theme song a cappella. Yes. And B, get the crowd going on a sing-along for their theme song. Yes. What was hilarious was after they had sung it, John starts doing the Save Me song from Smallville. And as that peters out, he's like, nobody ever asked me to sing that one. <laughs> um, And he did get asked about his, uh, his music career that just mm. kind of stopped at one point. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like he and the record label or his management or I forget who uh, had a, a uh, not seeing of, of ways or not seeing eye to eye. He's very much the type of guy of if you commit to something and don't do it, he's not going to be happy. You don't commit to something and don't do it again. He's going to be really unhappy. Third time, expect him to walk the hell off. Mm-hmm. Just he does what he says he's going to do and expects the same. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I respect that. Yeah. Um. He's one I would love to see on another TV show or something like that. Uh, most of these actors are, but him definitely. Yeah. Um, so, again, we walked the floor. I didn't buy anything today. Um, saw one or two things might think about tomorrow, uh, but nothing that's, uh, ooh, I've just got to have this. Um, so it was fun. After that, we uh, uh, headed, like I said earlier, over to the Toys R Us because uh, it's right by the hotel just to see if there was any fun, cool toys that we had to have. Fortunately, there were not. But that's the advantage of driving to a convention. If there were, I would have bought them. Uh, and then we had dinner, and then we came back, uh, watched Arrow as we ate, and then we're recording. Mm-hmm. So it's a two-day convention. There's a bunch of stuff happening tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, including a panel with uh, Sean Pertui and David uh, Mezos, or whatever, uh, the Alfred and Bruce from uh, from Gotham. Mm-hmm. We're a few episodes behind on that. Um, Katie Cassidy canceled because of filming. And David Ramsey. David Ramsey is going to fill in. Uh, he was there today. Uh, John Barrowman's got a panel. And then uh, end of the day, Austin St. John, original Red Power Ranger. Mm-hmm. Curious to hear what he has to say, having heard uh, um, Jason David Frank, the original Green mm-hmm. Ranger, a few times. 
Um, so yeah, fun convention. It was a lot of people, well attended. Mm-hmm. Uh, seemed fairly well run. Um, I thought, by and large, from from my personal vantage point, which was certainly not all seeing. Um, I think it's a great value for the the money for the tickets. The tickets are not that much. It's about double if you want the VIP stuff, but you get better seating and stuff like that. So it's like, all right, it's, uh, you know, if it's somebody you really want to see and whatnot, Mm -hmm. um, I can see maybe doing that. I don't know what all the perks are it gets you, but uh, everyone seemed happy with what they were getting. I would agree. Well organized. Uh, Again, we were in the grand ballroom all day. It was well coordinated. Uh, the there were a couple of times volunteers had to go get you know clarification for how they should be doing something or whatever. But they knew that they asked, they got it. I mean, mm-hmm. it was not there was no confusion. Yeah, there was maybe a little temporary uncertainty, but they got it cleared up. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's well training of, of volunteers. Yeah, none of the haphazardness that we've seen at some bigger conventions over the years. Um. Again, traffic flow for the parking in the morning was great. It was easy to get in this morning. It was easy to get out. Mm-hmm. Again, our hotel just perfectly lines up with everything. It was awesome. By and large, I felt the the walkways and stuff, the traffic flow was pretty good. After the uh, last panel we went to in the Grand Ballroom was the Masquerade, I think it was. Costume contest, sorry. So the line for that was going in as we were trying to get across that to the autograph area. That was a little slow, but they it was reasonably well organized. It could have been slightly better. Well, given how little space there is up there, I I wish there were a magic way for it to do less crissing and crossing, but I'm not really sure how they could. They don't have a lot of space to work with in the lobbies yeah. and such. I was very uh, pleased with going up three levels of escalators, how well they had partitioned things to where it's a very, it's obvious you are going this way and you're going up type mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So with uh, some of the space limitations they've got, I think they worked with it fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, they played trailers between the movie uh, for movies between the panels. Mm-hmm. So I saw trailers for the Turtles movie, Suicide Squad, Batman versus Superman. Star Trek Beyond, oh, what else? Captain America Civil War, number of things. So I thought that was cool. It was mm-hmm. uh, relevant. Yes. Um, I think they did a good job in how they um, filled up the rooms. They got the VIPs in there, made sure people were happy, let other people move up, and kept that going smoothly. Uh, and again, there was a, a comfortable gap between panels. Yeah. So nothing felt rushed or whatever. And there was a time or two as they were saying, hey, we're clearing the room for it and stuff, telling people we're going to dump you all the way back downstairs and then have you come back up because we don't really have room for you up here. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. So I could see people may grumble a little about that, but nothing they did seemed unreasonable, um, ludicrous, or just silly or something. Yeah. Uh, Again, they seem to know their facility reasonably well. They seem to use it fairly well. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, where they put the General Lee, where they put the, the land speeder and a few things like that. Uh, maybe not the most obvious, but it's like, okay, I know where it is. I was able to get a nice shot with my cell phone with the General Lee at the end of the day. Um, they use the space well. Yeah. So with that, I don't really have anything else for today. Um, the plan is to uh, obviously go back tomorrow. And then what we'll probably do, because we're checking out of the hotel in the morning – 
Um, the convention ends at, I don't know, 5.30 or something? Yeah, I think the hall floor closes at either 5 or 5.30, and the building closes at 7. Okay, I know the last panel starts at 4.30, so it depends how long that runs. After that, what we may do is record the second part of this episode in our car in the parking garage. So there may be a little bit more noise around. There may not be. Don't know. It was pretty, mm-hmm. pretty quiet when we got there today. It was. Um, but do that before we do the uh, four-hour drive back to Austin. Uh, just that way it's more fresh in our mind and there's not all the car noise if we try to record while I'm driving, which that wouldn't go well. And you get the... Uh... I'm trying. I'm debating between unfiltered or unmoderated, or undiluted because we spent four and a half hours annoying one another in the car, and then we record. Yes, version. yes. You get the. Um, <laughs> well, you get more of what you would expect. <laughs> Any shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's usually fun to do a, a drive like that. It does get a little tiring. It was a bit of a drive to get up here. Mm. Which is part of why I haven't done many Dallas conventions. I think I've done maybe one in the past. Again, was hoping to see Derek, but totally understood why he couldn't make it. That was uh, unfortunate, but those things happen. And we Mm -hmm. knew that before we got here. So anything else for tonight? I think we're good for tonight. We'll continue this tomorrow then. This is day two of the Dallas Comic-Con Fan Days. We are actually going to record this one in parts. This is the middle of the day. It's, what, uh, 1230-ish? Give or take. We have found what we hope is a quiet spot outside uh, on the third floor of the convention center, mm-hmm. uh, just outside the cosplay area. And, man, the, the we're outside, so there may be a little wind noise. I'll do what I can to edit that out, but if there is, oh well. Uh, this, this is a fairly busy place today, just finding a place to... You know, snag some chairs, find a, a power outlet or whatever so we can plug in and record was a little challenging. Uh, this morning we got here. Again, parking was a breeze. Uh, I wound up actually in the same parking spot as yesterday, so easy exit. Looking forward to that. Um, came in, uh, did not go through the exhibit hall this morning. We went up to the, the autograph area first just to see who was there. And there was quite a few people there. They definitely don't seem to be uh, skimping on time for when they're doing the autographs and all of that, which is makes sense. Yeah. I'm very pleased with that. Uh, and then we headed back to the Grand Ballroom on the fourth floor. The first panel, uh, the only one we've seen so far today, was uh, Sean Pertui and um, David... Mazouz. Mazouz. I want to make sure I get it wrong, right. I was thinking it was David. It's David. David. Uh, they uh, From Gotham, Alfred and Bruce... Uh, same moderator, Mark, is, is most of yesterday. And we got to see the Batman versus Superman trailer while waiting for yes. the Gotham panel. And uh, those two, I was very curious to see how they, they interact off screen. Because there's a, a noticeable age difference between the two of them. And experience difference. I mean, mm. you know, Sean Pertui's been doing acting for quite some time. As he mentioned in the panel, uh, his family has been actors literally for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the old-fashioned British type, so they know what they're doing. And whereas, you know, uh, David is 15? He'll be 14. He'll be 15 on uh, the 19th. On the 19th, so in a couple of days from now. His birthday is the same as Bruce Wayne's in yeah. the comic books, he noticed. He, the two of them get along great. They, they interact very well. One of my favorite comments when they were getting asked, do you play video games or whatever? 
as David was was turning to Sean, it's like we've tried playing, you know, Arkham Knights. We're not too good at it, kind of a, yeah. But very much a we try this, mm-hmm. and Sean mm-hmm. was, yeah, yeah, we tried this, and you know, had problems at this point, and that they, uh, Sean had also made some comments about what he loves about acting is there's no ageism. You can act at any age, and everyone's in there as equals and stuff like that. And he seems to have a true respect yeah. for David, who's a, a much younger one. They get along really well. And it, I think that really shows on screen, the chemistry between those two. Mm-hmm. And turns out Sean has a son about David's age, and that's got to play into it and stuff. Well, and Sean was saying he had watched David in touch. Yes. And really enjoyed his performance there. Well, and particularly because uh, he was playing he was playing a character that never spoke. Yeah. So really had to act. And uh, the two of them also seem to have a great deal of respect for the actors who play uh, Penguin, Robin Lord Taylor. Obviously, you know, doing a great job. But also kind of the slow burn on the Riddler. Mm-hmm. And how we've seen somebody go from one end and, and going through that pendulum arc and whatnot. Yeah. So it was a, a really good panel. A lot of fun. Uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. Somebody asked uh, when they were kids, what was their favorite toy? And I loved David's answer. Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm still a kid. Yeah. And then recounted what his favorite toy was. Up until two years ago. Yeah. Uh, but it was very much a recognition that as a mature and adult as he sounded during the panel, when he was saying, because someone else had asked, you know, have you ever gotten a script? And you write, and you're like, whoa, that, that doesn't feel right, or that doesn't look right, or that's so shocking. And he said, yeah, you know, we'll find continuity errors in the script, mm-hmm. for instance, and, and we'll email the writers or call the writers and say, hey, that's not right, that doesn't feel right, that feels out of character, or that goes against continuity. One of the things I got out of both of them was they're serious about their craft, they think about their craft, they mm-hmm. don't overthink their craft, mm-hmm. but... It's where are these characters going, where are they at, how are they getting there, realizing they're doing somewhat uncharted waters. This is usually the part that's glossed over for these characters. Yeah. But how just, um, they're also enjoying the, the opportunity they get. Yeah. You know, but there's a certain amount of just general professionalism. Mm-hmm. Both of them, uh, when, and they get asked the who would win in this fight, the usual kinds of you know, uh, questions that if you're not careful could get you into trouble as a, uh, an actor on stage there. And th- universally, they gave very good diplomatic answers. Mm-hmm. They both seemed aware of what uh, the comic versions of these characters. Well, David was asked uh, if he were older, more mature, uh, what did he think he would do a better job than Ben Affleck? Yeah, as talk Batman. about a loaded question. Yeah, exactly. And his answer was excellent because he said, what I'll say is I'm really excited and happy for Ben Affleck. Yeah. Again, very diplomatic, honest answer. Yeah, it was a great answer. And for somebody particularly so young, he really presented himself incredibly well. Um, and again, I was really happy with just how well those two interact. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of what makes that aspect of Gotham really work. Yeah. Because it could have just as easily been, yeah, they're co-workers, but, you know, they're, they're many decades apart in age. They just don't have a common ground. But they found that. They, they enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that just made for a really fun panel. 
Well, and there was clear respect between each of them because a lot of the questions that were a, you know, what aspect of the comic book would you like to see in the show or who from the comic book would you like to see brought to the show, mm-hmm. those kinds of questions. Sean would almost defer to David with, you've read more of the comic books, why don't you go first? And there were a couple of times David kind of, you know, it's like, here, Sean, you take this one kind of a... Yeah. They they, they know each other well enough, it seems like, that they know mm-hmm. who's better to answer these questions and whatnot. Yet, neither one kind of stepped on the other one, if, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, while Sean deferred to David, who, of course, is younger and more at the appropriate age... For, not the appropriate age for comic, but a... But he's currently more immersed in the comics yes. than he is. Yes. Um... Well, and it gets a cultural thing, too. Yes. You know, as uh, a teenager living in the States, uh, reading comics, okay, maybe it's skew- he's skewing, you know, younger than the average or whatever. But, again, Sean Pertui, who grew up, granted, on some of the, the Batman reruns of the Adam West stuff or whatnot, uh, has different expectations or whatever. But also had good answers for what was in the comics. Of, you know, hey, I'd like to see Clayface. This Alfred's a tougher version Mm-hmm. I loved Sean's answer uh, or suggestion of having an Alfred off. Yes. Between him and the movie version. Yeah. And uh, it was just all in all, it was a really fun panel. And they came across as genuine, having some really good acting tips, mm-hmm. some what's it like to be on there type aspect, a little bit of behind the scenes, but always very gracious, honest, sincere answers, mm-hmm. and very much there for the fans. Yeah, definitely. And very grateful to the fans, because they understood that they have very supportive fans. And David, in fact, was mentioning that he didn't realize how fortunate he was in how supportive his fans were until he was hearing stories from others of kind of the, you know, fans will rip you a new one if you do it wrong. Oh, yeah. If, if his Bruce wasn't considered up to snuff or people didn't like Alfred or whatever, they would have heard about it. Yeah, and... He said, you know, by the time I found out the pressure that I should have been aware of versus, you know, I was a 12-year-old excited about moving to New York and excited about a new role. And I was just so caught up in the excitement that when I found out I should have had all this pressure on me, instead of having all that pressure on me, I was now getting all this supportive reaction from fans. Well, and he mentioned having gotten asked that question a number of times, and that in and of itself is starting to mount up the pressure. Yes, which and was kind very of a, It's a little too late now. Yeah. <laughs> but they also both made comments about Jeff Johns, creative director over at DC, and kind of trying to, to live up to his expectations because he's fairly involved as to what the characters need to be, where they're going, and things mm-hmm. of that sort. And, again, wanting to do right by the the people in charge of or protect the caretakers of the, the product mm-hmm. or the, the character, the, the mythos. Even though they're reinventing it, they're going in a different direction, they want to stay true to the, the core of the, the concept, the character, um, and again, I think they have. Yeah. So that was that was a lot of fun. Fairly well attended panel, but it yeah. was a ten thirty a.m. panel, so a little lighter than some of the ones we saw in the afternoon yesterday. Yeah, the room was a good half full though by the end. Yeah. So yeah. And then we went down to the floor, mm. walked around. Uh, no, what did we do after that? No, after autograph that. Autograph area. You're right. I had forgotten about that. We went over back to the autograph area, 
uh, Tom Wapat had mentioned a CD he was selling that he and John Schneider had done of Christmas stuff. Yeah, so I decided I needed some Christmas music for the drive home. He had mentioned at the panel he had a limited supply, and if he were to sell out, he would go back to the rental car and get another limited supply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So I uh, went ahead and picked that up. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Both of them, I've heard they're singing before. They're very talented as, mm-hmm. as musicians and singers. Um, so easy to, to support them in that. Yeah. So did that real quick. Uh, again, Tom uh, has done enough of the autograph signing and stuff. It's like, who do I make this out to? How do you spell it? And making sure he had that right. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me how many uh, celebrities don't do that. Yeah. And it, it simple enough thing. Well, and just casually singing while he was signing. Yeah. He's having fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. he and John were, were talking about some stuff and just catching up or whatever. Yeah. So clearly they, they get along. There's no question about that. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to, to hearing how that comes out in the music. Yeah, me too. Um, so that, we did that. Forgot about that. Walked around a little more of the autograph area, which is getting pretty crowded. Because by that point, not only were there the lines for Barrowman and Amel, Stephen Amel that we'd seen before going into the panel... But now the lines have really built up for Sean Pertui and uh, David uh, Mazous uh, there. And and Robbie had a good line, too. Robbie had a good line. Brent Spiner was having decent yeah. line. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of people who were interested in the, the celebrities. And again, yeah. it was working out well for everybody. Yeah. Uh, fans seemed to be generally happy. Nobody seemed to be complaining, oh, this line's not moving or anything of the sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, lines were well managed. And again, fans and, and celebrities all seemed to be enjoying it which is again that's that's awesome mm-hmm. then we went downstairs yes walked around the floor a little bit uh talked with a, a, a friend uh, great conversation there that was a lot of fun and looked around a little for the bb-8 figure but have decided we may just get that online yeah uh weren't seeing it and again the funko pop booth man some of those were just packed yeah so those are definitely a big draw or whatever then after that, we uh, started looking around for a place to record for a few minutes, uh, found this. It was, frankly, a bit quieter when we sat down than it is right now. Much quieter. Don't know how much of that's coming across on the mics. Hopefully not too much. Um, but yeah, overall, having fun so far today. We've got uh, the David Ramsey panel a little later, and mm-hmm. then the uh, Austin St. John uh, original Red Power Ranger panel. And Barrowman. Oh, and between. John Barrowman. Forgot about that. That Yeah. Mm-hmm. So should be a lot of fun. Um, probably after that, we'll uh, try to grab a place to record uh, for a little bit before uh, going back, uh, doing the four-hour drive back down to Austin. Yep. So anything else for now? That does it. Cool. Okay, it is about six o'clock, I think, mm-hmm. on Sunday. Yeah, about five till. We have left the convention center. We uh, ducked into a Target to get uh, AA batteries. I'd uh, forgotten to bring any of my rechargeable batteries for the Zoom, and they were pretty much shooing us out of the convention center at the end of the day uh, because they've got another. They've got to clear out so another convention can get in. So okay, that happens. That's fine. Um, since we recorded, we stood in line for John Barrowman. We went to the John Barrowman panel. We could do an entire John Barrowman podcast, but we will resist. Yes. Um, I would say really the crux of it is if you ever have the opportunity to see John Barrowman, you should. He if, doesn't need a moderator. No. 
he was in the same venue as everyone else, but everyone else was sitting behind a table. For the most part, there was a couple of times that um, Bruce Greenwood would get in front of it and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But they'd be behind a table with a microphone and very kind of, you know, sedate sort of a thing. They had cleared out every table and everything on the stage. And John Berriman used every square foot of it, um, including using the deaf sign language uh, young ladies as props at times. Yeah, props and um, thanking them for the interpretation. Each time they changed shifts, changing them, uh, thanking them for the interpretation. Uh, thanking them and giving them a bit of a hard time, too, because he was... He was ribbing them because some of the way, some of what he is as close to the Comic-Con circuit has and probably will ever have to Robin Williams. Yes. Yes. He was mentioning that some of the signs they do look like gestures that mean very different things in his household and just things like that. But the reason I mention that is at the very end, someone mentioned. Yeah. Well. Not just someone. One of yes. he had at one point made a, a point of asking the deaf group, "Do you have any questions?" No. Okay, you're good. And later, one of them had taken one of the the deaf uh, interpreters uh, to the question, and she interpreted his question through the mic through the mic uh, for John, which I thought was a great way to do it. And she uh, again did a, a very fluent job of it. And, and the first question was basically, you know. He had gone, John Berriman had apparently gone through an experience where he had, uh, he's part of the, uh, there's, there's a charity in England that he's active with that gives hearing dogs to deaf people. So, I mean, because that way, you know, smoke alarms, doorbell, phone ringing, the dog can clue the, the person in. And as part of that, he went through some sort of temporary thing to, to have his hearing kind of turned off yeah to, to understand that plight the way the deaf person described it was that molds were made that were kind of the inverse of hearing aids yeah that went into his ears and plugged the canals and he said put your hands over your ears and muffle your hearing as much as you can and it was about a hundred times better muffling effect than that because Behrman was clear it's not like he was completely deaf it mm-hmm. was still a little but just how insightful that experience was because people treated him like he was just an idiot. People he works with and knows. Yes. It's not like just random people, but people he has an established relationship with. They know what to expect out of him and just how how frustrating that seemed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he had just... And he also talked about the different way people treated him once he had been given one of those hearing dogs. Yes, how people were helping him, very friendly, and just Mm -hmm. what a a game changer that was. Yeah, and he said part of the reason the dog was a game changer was not just because the dog helped him, Mm -hmm. which it did considerably, but because the dog was a visual cue to people of, I am a, a the equivalent of a seeing eye dog. Yeah. And he probably had, if not a harness, something on him to say, I'm a working dog. And it clues you into, this is a person who you need to make eye contact with when you're speaking. They need to see you. It's the visual cue that either a seeing eye dog or just the cane gives for a blind person. Mm-hmm. And it heightens your awareness. Yeah. And it was, again, I, I thought it. He gave a really good description of all of it. It was it was a lot of uh, mm-hmm. fun, very interesting. It really explained his awareness 
It did. Of the, the sign interpreters and stuff like that. And how just very genuine his thanking of them was, particularly there at the end. Because there were a couple of times where he was, again, he's very risque. Yes. He's amazingly all ages, given that. Because he was very clear that some of the stuff's going to go over the kid's head and have fun explaining it on the drive home. Yes. But he, there were certain things he would say, innuendos, whatever, that when they were getting interpreted, looked just hilarious or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he would comment on that. But also when he did his song at the end, he was really, I think, enthralled by the interpreter, uh, just the way she was conveying the music aspect of that. She was moving with the music. Yeah. And it was it was not just he saying blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, and he had, uh, I don't want to say karaoke style, but... He had the lyrics had on the, on the his lyrics phone. He had the lyrics on his phone keyed to the music just to make sure because he's not performed this song in public but maybe a few times okay and he wanted to make sure he had it right because it's a brand new song and when he realized what great job she was doing he moved over towards her a to draw the camera to her Mm -hmm. for the rest of us in the room to highlight that but he was also trying to get the camera to where if she needs to be glimpsing the lyrics a little ahead too maybe she can see them well, and also, hey, what's she doing over there? That looks cool. Yeah. He was, again, his panel went uh, hour and 15, maybe? Yeah, and I don't think I laughed that hard the whole weekend just because he's got that great comedic timing and he can keep his panel moving without needing oh, a moderator's help. The moderator, uh, Mark, basically, it's John, gets off stage, boom, gone. Yeah. And wasn't needed, wasn't missed. Yeah. And he's a good moderator. He's an excellent moderator. But there were a couple of times where Barrowman was telling a story about some of the, the stuff they pull on set and just how, you know, Amel would do the Barrowman. And, you know, having had Amel do that kind of a thing, it's like these guys, I'm sure, love working together, are great together on screen. But there were times literally John Barrowman was just bouncing. Mm-hmm. He is so full of energy. I mean, again... There was at least one time he made himself blush, and he actually doubled over, put his hands on his knees, and was surprised he made himself start to blush on stage. He is just incredibly flamboyant, full of life, full of energy. And one of the things he said when somebody asked him a question was that what he was doing in that room is entirely different than performing, than going on stage in any environment, cabaret or in front of thousands, because he knows that we're there to cheer him on. Well, to celebrate his work. Yes, and and that the whole mood of the room is celebration. Everyone's there for the same reason. Yes. And he had commented on how a cabaret can be just, I don't think he used the word terrifying, but very uh, intimate. Yes. And just, you're right there. So if he's, you know... Sweating. If anything, I mean, you will notice anything and everything about him. Mm-hmm. And just that can be a little nerve wracking. So again, if you ever have the chance to to see him at a convention live, I, I highly recommend it. He's hilarious. He is he is risque, but not inappropriately so. Again, you, you could take your kid there. Yeah, kid's going to be a little perplexed. Well, and once or twice when he was asked a question that he knew he could give a very adult answer to or a very PG answer to because he couldn't see always because of the lighting who was at the mic, he would flat out ask. 
and how old are you? Yes. And when the little girl said, I'm 13, he said, okay, sweetie. And he moderated his answer to the 13-year-old. And when audience members started to chuckle at the phrases he was trying to find to make it PG, he's like, now work with me here. I'm making this age appropriate. Yes. It's the kind of thing that the same questions could have been asked. And if he knew that there was nobody under 18 in the room, Mm-hmm. It would have been a much more risque panel. Mm-hmm. But again, he's a professional. It's like, no, this is all ages, whatever. It'll be a little dicey, a little, little spicy. Mm-hmm. But nothing that you're going to just think your kid is scarred for life or anything. And the flip side of that is not once but twice, kids ended up on stage with him. And he was so sweet and so kind and so adorable with those kids that after one of the kids came off and he said as a joke, you know, if anybody's got any eggs lying around, you know where to send them. I'm pretty sure some of the women in that room were tempted. Yeah. He is just so great with the fans of all ages. Yeah. And so much wanting to be there for the fans, make sure they're having a a hell of a fun time. Mm -hmm. And again, at the end, he made a number of comments. I hope you liked it, that kind of a thing. You know, um, not seeking approval, but... No, but just, I hope this was the celebration you came for. I hope you got the joy out of this you came for. I did. And thank you for coming. And again, the the thanking of the deaf interpreters. Mm -hmm. And and part of it for that is they were working their arms off during that panel. Three of them ended up taking turns during that panel because it was just so gangbusters, so much happening. There was a lot happening, very energetic. Keeping up with him was hard. Again, imagine somebody doing the deaf sign language translation for Robin Williams. Yes. Just out of nowhere. It's like, he, he, wait, he said what? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they all, I hope they the, the sign, uh, sign language interpreters enjoyed that. Certainly they opened up his stuff to the deaf community. Uh, that was there and, and seemed to be a fair number. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I didn't, I don't know how many. And on the how many comment, um, we asked because I was curious. Oh, right, right, right. We asked how many, uh, seats were in the room. Uh, 1300. Yeah. Was the number we got. Yeah. So bigger than, uh, room 6A out in San Diego, which. And about a quarter the size of Hall H in San Diego. Uh, a good size yeah. room. Good size room. Bigger than most, uh, but not the biggest of the biggest. Yeah, Hall H is 6,500. So but yeah, again, cool. man, they packed it in for Barrowman. They did. Every, well, not every. There were maybe three empty seats, but packed. Yeah. Yes. And they did a good job on that. Again, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. After that, uh, the final panel of the day was one I really wanted to, to go to, and that was the Austin St. John. Mm-hmm. He was the original Red Ranger on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He became the Gold Ranger later, came back for uh, uh, Forever Red, um, but it just kind of, you know, for a long time kind of dropped out of sight. And I've seen Jason David Frank, the original Green Ranger, who was not one of the original five. He was the first additional Ranger. Ah, got it. And uh, Jason David Frank uh, gives good panels, is very much there for the fans, but it's it's also kind of about him. Mm -hmm. And Austin St. John, very... Just amazed that people want to hear him speak. It's been 20 years. That was just an earlier chapter in his life. He had no idea people remembered he'd done that to, in some respects. He had moved on to working as a volunteer firefighter. He now has a, um, He's a, a degree as a medic. A couple of degrees. Yeah. It, 
he's one that I would like to see kind of his life story mm-hmm. play out because it's not like it's one of those e uh, Hollywood true stories kind of they rose to fame they lost it all whatever but again height of fame just a, a cultural icon for a while then gets out of that and, and follows in his parents' footsteps. Yeah, I mean, again, the firefighting, The it, I wouldn't be surprised if he'd spent time in the military with being the medic and all that stuff. Uh, got to a couple of degrees and stuff like that. But there was a period where he was saying he was working as a martial arts instructor, instructor and sleeping out of the back of his car. He was mm-hmm. homeless. Yeah, he said he was tight on funds and he didn't want to tell people that he didn't have enough to scrap together for first and last month's rent. And... He didn't want to tell the master at the dojo. He was embarrassed by it. And that's what he says. And it was interesting, though, because I think that period of his life, he had referred to it later uh, when somebody was saying, what was it like in here? It's like, well, I had a lot of humble pie or whatever at one point. And he was very, you know, hey, I did the show, but I'm nobody special. Yeah. I'm glad you're here to talk about it. But I think he's still at that point where his impact on an entire generation is one that just doesn't compute for him. Mm-hmm. And he very much said it a couple of times, he's just not wired that way. Yeah. You know, again, nobody's special, just doing what he's supposed to, you know. Did that, didn't think he'd get it, got it, it was fun, it was good. You know, doing the firefighting stuff, okay, great, that was a fun thing. You know, doing the medic stuff, got to the point where it's like, okay, need a, need a change. So he's starting to get into the con circuit, get into, uh, back into the, the movie type stuff, has a couple of projects in the work. Uh, apparently has a charitable organization. I wish he'd mm-hmm. uh, gone into some detail on that. Yeah. But somebody that, as far as con guests go, is still, I would say, I don't want to say at that rookie level, but needs to get more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Needs to be a little bit more expressive, a little longer answers, a little more in depth. But he's also just a great con guest because it's very clear he's there for the fans Mm-hmm. doesn't take them for granted, doesn't think he's some some big thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just is as much in awe of the fandom as the some of the fans are of him. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, again, he was one of the original five kids that launched a 20-plus year franchise that's done over 100, 800, excuse me, over 800 episodes um, and just at one point was the, the height of cultural phenomenon. Yeah. And for that not to have gone to his head. Yeah. It's like, yeah, something I did as a kid, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, but still speak fondly of it, that kind of a thing. It, it To me, it speaks volumes of his character. He speaks the same way about saving lives as a meta. I don't think of it as saving lives. I think of it as what I do. I, yeah. I go in, I do what needs to be done. I, I move to the next job. And I really respected that quality about him. It, he seems to see it as it's a job. He's just a workman, a, a journeyman or whatever, mm-hmm. not a hero. Yeah, yeah. And again, that just speaks volumes to the way he was raised. He, When asked who his hero was as a kid, it's like his parents. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of the, the quiet leadership or whatever um, that he was trying to bring as, as his character, Jason. So, well, we've talked uh, off the podcast between us about the fact that there was really a strong anti-bullying message mm-hmm. in Power Rangers and a lot of very good positive role models and positive messages in those early episodes of Power Rangers when it was first coming on. And when you think about 
him as a person, as well as what he was part of. It's just all in keeping with his personality, I think. Well, and he referred to the the early stuff as just having a lot of cheese. And it's like, yeah, it was cheesy, it was it was silly, it was hokey in a few places. But again, as role models go, his character, the other original characters, uh, were again good kids. But let's look at it this way: sometimes you gotta put some cheese on the broccoli to get the kids to eat it. Absolutely, you've got to make it entertaining. Otherwise, it's oh, it's sugar coated. It's it's. It's a morality story. Where's the fun? Where's the excitement? And he was also kind of saying how much fun he had during the audition process and how a lot of the others were coming from an acting point of view and say, oh, you know nothing. And he's like, well, do you know martial arts? No. And how they were helping each other out in the different areas. Yeah. And they became a team during that audition process because of that, which was really cool. The last thing that happened in that panel might actually be my favorite. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the audience stood up. I, I think the question we didn't quite hear over the mic was, would you do your morphing call? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, only if everyone will stand up and do it with me. Mm-hmm. You're my team. Let's do it together. And, you know, led the, the group in it and stuff. He was 90% happy with what people did, but he felt almost everybody in the room fell short. Well, because they did the it's morphing time, but then he follows up with, you know, Triceratops or, you know, whichever his was. And nobody else did. And he's like, huh? Come on, guys. Yeah. But he did that kind of morphing call thing probably as well or better than I've seen almost anyone else do it. Mm-hmm. He did the hand gestures, the everything. And he very politely raised his voice slightly, made eye contact with the AV guys in the back of the room and said, I'm going to do this off mic so I don't blow out your speakers. Yes. And again, cognizant of the thing. and. hmm didn't need the speakers, and we were a ways back in the room yeah. and whatnot. So I think he's one that shows just a ton of promise mm-hmm. uh, as a convention guest, as he just gets a little more comfortable with it. Yeah. Gets, you know, over the kind of the shock and awe mm-hmm. of aspects. Hopefully not over it too much. Yeah. Because I like the fact, I don't think he's ever going to get egotistical on it. That just isn't his nature. And it was funny because, again, having seen Jason David Frank, having seen him, these two guys were kind of the big two of the team at one point, and they're just such different personalities. Well, just within this convention, talking very different personalities, you know, Brent Spiner was asked, why do you think Star Trek has gone on 50 years? If you had asked him, Austin St. John, who was in that first season of Power Rangers, why do you think Power Rangers has been on the air over 20 years? I don't think he would have said, well, because my ranger was awesome. No, absolutely not. I think his answer would have been along the lines of, I have no idea. Yeah. I am baffled, you know, wonderfully surprised by kind of a thing. And then he would have said, you tell me. Yes. Because several times he's asked people, well, you tell me because you guys know your favorite rangers and your favorite characters. And he said, I've been fascinated at these conventions, having people tell me what they love about the show and finding out why it resonated with so many people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I I don't mean to go back to Bearman, but I do have to say he is right, and I'm going to vote for Pikachu. Yeah, when asked when his, uh, what his favorite Pokemon was, at first he felt on the spot, and he's like, hey, fortunately I know this. Yes. 
and I'm a traditionalist. Again, he gave just great answers to questions that were so off the wall. And there were a couple of times he's like, where do they come up with these questions? But a little while later when he was saying, you know, now I feel like I have to make up my mind about something. It's like a political election. You want me to vote for president? I'm voting for Pikachu. Well, because he asked the kid who asked, what's yours? He's like, well, I'm undecided. He's like, like most of America. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, uh, again, Barrowman, a lot of fun, very energetic. It was just so interesting to go from the the incredible energy level of Barrowman to a much more quiet, reserved mm. guest who, at the height of his popularity, was probably as popular or more mm-hmm. than even Barrowman at the height of his popularity, whatever you would determine that to be. Yeah. So, and yeah. part of it's just there's been time elapsed for... Uh, for Austin and, and less so for for uh, Barrowman and whatnot. But again, just different personalities. Um, John Barrowman is just a showman and flamboyant by nature. Mm-hmm. Whereas Austin St. John is, again, that's just, he does what he does mm-hmm. and that's that's what he does. Yeah. You know? And again, Brent Spiner, mock egotistical. Yes, yes. I think there's a root to it, but... Uh, and something that I think some of his, his uh, co-stars have, have had some fun with. Well, and I think that some of the running gags between him and his co-stars have fed the persona he creates at the convention. Oh, absolutely. The Reading Rainbow Kickstarter or whatever, when at the end he's going in, it's like, I'm Brett Spiner. I played Data. And they're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, because in that circle, LeVar Burton is the big shot. Yeah, exactly. So, again, it was a, a lot of fun. Great convention. Yes. One that I, I really recommend. If you can see some of these stars at these various shows, you should. The other thing, though, is if they don't show, because this is something we found out today, Barrowman was asked why he was late. Well, it was very interesting. The way the question was phrased was, since you were delayed in arriving, don't you feel you owe us X? Yeah, you were late and you should pay us back kind of a thing. And he's like, no, no, no. I wasn't late. He was very clear he was not late. He was always going to be on the flights he was on. This is how it was. And the way it got messaged out was inaccurate. And I point that out because one of the other people who didn't show was Katie Cassidy. Mm -hmm. And from the way it came down, uh, the way we heard about it was additional filming and stuff. But it looks like she's been in New York at a fashion week kind of a thing. Which doesn't seem to be a spur-of-the-moment thing either. Yeah, they so, said last-minute filming for Arrow in Vancouver versus Fashion Week in New York, which may be planned publicity and uh, public appearances, but you would think that was known further in advance than word came to con attendees Friday. It could easily come across, though, to a con attendee. And for me, it initially came across this way. If she was ditching this to go do something she yes. thought was fun. And that's probably not the case. So, I mean, these people have lives. They work their tail off on long days doing the shooting and stuff. Sometimes they can't make it. Sometimes they're tired or whatever. But, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. They're people to treat them with respect. And every one of the ones that showed up that we saw this time was very much there to give back to the fans. They're thankful. And it was just, again, a, a, a mutual celebration of the fandom. When we uh, stopped to have sodas, mm-hmm. uh, two girls were kind of rushing to the same table. We were realized we got there first and we're like, no, oh, no, there are four chairs. Join us. Mm-hmm. And we ended up talking with them and they were surprised that an actor they wanted to get an autograph from 
started by shaking their hand and saying, hi, how how you do? I'm David. It was so funny because even then, I think they were still a little starstruck. Yeah. Because they were young. I'm going to yeah. put them at around 15. Yeah. I think they were young enough somebody had to drive them to the convention. They were, yeah, between 15 and 18. I'm a bad judge of age. I, again, braces. Uh, they looked young enough that if it, I don't think they, they drove themselves. They they were clearly in heaven and sky high, but they were just blown away that he started by shaking hands and introducing. And I noticed all the ones that I approached, um, I talked with Robbie Amell and Bruce Greenwood each for a few minutes, and they shook my hand at the beginning, they shook my hand at the end, and if you walk up to the volunteer who's kind of about 20 feet out from where they're Mm -hmm. doing the signings, kind of conducting the line, I guess is what I want to say. And you just ask, is it okay if I get in line just to say hi? You'll quickly find out yay or nay Mm -hmm. and always say, you know, I won't take long. Yeah. And that's the Um, thing is don't take long. Exactly. Exactly. And when I went up to Bruce Greenwood, he had no line and he talked with me until he did have a line. Well, and that's the thing. Be respectful of the other attendees at the mm-hmm. convention. You're all there for the same reason. Yeah. Just as you wouldn't want somebody hogging the time, the line, or whatever yeah. you want to get to, uh, be it a booth, a, a, a panel, or a, a autograph, or whatever, be respectful of everyone else. Yeah. I, mean, I just, so many people see the line and the prices for the autographs and think, I don't have that in my budget today, so I can't get in that line, so I can't meet that person. I think that's an opportunity for convention runners to put together a very clear policy. If you don't want to buy anything, get in line. You get about 30 seconds, whatever. Set an expectation. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I'm not referencing this convention specifically on No, this is global. That. This is, yeah, global. I think, uh, again, we, uh, Tom Wampat, we talked to for yes. a few minutes, uh, buying the CD and whatnot. He was entertaining uh, when we bought the CD because he just started singing when a comment prompted a lyric in his mind, which prompted a song. And to me, that was really entertaining. He was just having a good time, as were most of the guests. All the ones I saw, I think, were just there having a blast. Well, but part of it to me is he and John Schneider both, like when they sang the theme song a cappella on stage, some singers can just, at the drop of a hat, sing a cappella on tune, no problem. And it's awesome Talk to about hear. a missed opportunity for this convention. They had two guys who've done country singing professionally. Mm-hmm. They had J- John Barrowman. Mm. I mean, to not have some kind of, I don't want to say karaoke, but mm. a, a little bit of a, a sing-off or some such. Yeah. Um, I think that could have been just a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, glad we came up here for this. Definitely. Uh, well worth doing. This was, again, Dallas Comic-Con Fan Days. They run, I think, another half dozen different conventions. They've got another one up here in Dallas in June that we may think about going to, Mm -hmm. uh, depending how our schedule looks for that weekend. But just an absolute blast. It was uh, well run, um, very friendly atmosphere. Everybody I saw seemed to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people in costume. uh, Just, again, great fun. Yeah, I highly recommend it. So anything else, or should we start that four-hour drive home? Oh, you can start driving me. All right. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.